I have a confession to make. I'm not particularly strong. I mean, I suppose compared to other 57-year-olds in the general population, I might be considered sort of strong. I'm certainly fit and healthy, and my body type could be described as lean and athletic. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not weak. In fact, I'm objectively stronger than I've ever been in my life. But my primary mode of training the past few years has been CrossFit, and I tend to do very well in workouts that have light to moderate weights with lots of jumping around, but not so well in tests of absolute strength. And there's an obvious reason why that is. I tend to seek out and train in areas that I'm already good at. But being stronger, that is, gaining more lean muscle mass, makes everything better. In the words of Mark Ripito, strong people are harder to kill and more useful in general. Now, in fairness to CrossFit, my coach has pulled me aside several times in the past couple of years and said something along the lines of, well, you know, Kev, if you took a few months off from CrossFit and focused on strength, you'd come back as a much more formidable and well-rounded athlete. And he's right. I mean, I understand that intellectually. But here's the thing. That means taking months off from something I'm very good at and that I enjoy to do something I suck at. In other words, to work on my weakness. And my conversation with today's guest gave me the incentive to do just that. I am going to train for and enter my first ever powerlifting meet. If you're not familiar with powerlifting competitions, they are a test of your one rep max and three lifts, the barbell back squat, the bench press, and the barbell deadlift. But this show isn't about me. It's about you. And my challenge to you is this. Listen to this show with an open mind and then check in with yourself. What's holding you back? Is it fear? Insecurity? Lack of knowledge? Why couldn't you train for your first powerlifting competition? Hello and welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Show. I'm your host, Kevin English. I'm a certified personal trainer and nutrition coach, and my mission is to help you get into the best shape of your life, no matter your age. We have a great show for you today. Andy Baker is back on the show to tell us exactly how to train for our first powerlifting meet. But before we get to that, I want to let you know that this show is brought to you by Energy Bits. Energy Bits make the purest, most energy-dense spirulina and chlorella on the planet. I personally have used their products daily for about a year now. I take spirulina every morning for its antioxidants, its omega-3s, and the 40 vitamins and minerals to help improve my energy and focus. I take their chlorella every evening for its super, super high chlorophyll and vitamins and minerals to help with my immune function, recovery, and gut health. I recommend personally starting out with the Vitality Bits. This is the 50-50 blend of spirulina and chlorella, and you can find those over at energybits.com. That's E-N-E-R-G-Y-B-I-T-S, energybits.com. And make sure you use the coupon code SILVEREDGE at checkout to save 20% on your purchase. Again, that's energybits.com, and use the coupon code SILVEREDGE. That Silver Edge all run together at checkout. And one last thing, if you'd like to learn more about Energy Bits and the superfood powers of algae, 
I recorded a podcast with the CEO and Chief Science Officer of Energy Bits a few months ago titled The World's Most Powerful Superfood with Katherine Arnston. Be sure to go back and give that a listen if you'd like to learn more. Okay, enough of that. Let's get on with today's show. guest today is Andy Baker. Andy has over 17 years of experience as a personal trainer and strength coach and is one of the most sought after strength and fitness experts in the industry. Andy coaches high level elite athletes as well as us athletes of aging. And he's the co-author of Practical Programming for Strength Training with Mark Ripito. And in addition, Andy is also the co-author of The Barbell Prescription, Strength Training for Life After 40 with Dr. Jonathan Sullivan. In this episode, Andy breaks down who is and who is not a good candidate for their first powerlifting competition, as well as exactly what we need to do to successfully prepare for our first competition. He gives us his best advice on competition day preparation and mindset. So without further ado, let's meet Andy. I've been a lifelong kind of strength enthusiast myself, starting when I was a teenager and all the way up through my, my 20s and that sort of thing. And I got into coaching fairly young, coaching at other people's gyms and, and that sort of thing, a sports performance coaching and all that. And then 2007 decided that I kind of wanted to do it my way and opened up my own facility here in Kingwood, which is just, it's a little suburb about 30 minutes north of Houston. And so that's what I've been doing ever since is, is just coaching people through all walks of life, competitors, non-competitors, older people, younger people, athletes, non-athletes. I'm not really a specialist in any one demographic. I, I like bringing kind of the benefits of strength training to all different types of folks that can benefit from it. So yeah, that's kind of what I do day in and day out and uh, do some online coaching as well. But most of my time is spent, you know, at my gym here. And for folks that want to do a deep dive into Andy's story and on why you might want to start strength training and get on a strength training program over 50, please do go back and listen to that first episode. We spent an hour plus time talking about that, had a great conversation. But for today, we're going to take a hypothetical client. We're, we're going to take a 60-year-old woman who perhaps has just recently in the last year or two gotten into strength training. She's excited and she's considering doing her first powerlifting meet. Now, before we get into what we're going to do to get her trained up and ready for this, let's define what is powerlifting? What, what is powerlifting competitions? What does that look like? Yeah. So powerlifting is a very, there's a lot of uh, confusion about that because people see different things in the media online or whatever. And there's, there's different types of quote, weightlifting competitions. There's Olympic weightlifting, which is what you see when you watch the Olympics. And that's the clean and jerk and the snatch where they're taking the weight from the floor and putting it over their head. And that's not powerlifting. Powerlifting is different. It's usually not televised, at least not anymore. So people, a lot of people, if you're not familiar with it, don't know what it is, but it's a three lift event. It's three lifts that are more accessible to most people. They're not quite as technique dependent as say Olympic weightlifting um, is. So you're talking about in powerlifting, we're talking about the squat, the bench press and the deadlift. And so the way that you compete is the rules vary by the organization, but by and large, they're similar is that you're going to, you're going to get three attempts, all one, one repetition. So it's just the maximum weight you can lift for one 
repetition. Uh, you get three attempts on each lift and they will take your best attempt at each one of those and add those up and that's your total. And so then you're judged based on what your total weight lifted in the squat, the bench press and the deadlift is. And then you're judged against others in your, in your weight class. And then they, what they generally do was they will take the winners of each weight class and they have some kind of formula that they use. Generally, they use something called a Wilkes formula. It takes into account your body weight and sometimes your age and that sort of thing. And they come up with like a, a best lifter category, which is not necessarily the person that lifts the most weight, but it, it's the person that performed best in their class. So, gotcha. So, so there's a lot in there. We heard you say uh, several things. Let's, let's talk about the attempts first. So you said you get, we have three movements, right? So it's going to be our squat, our bench press and our deadlift. You get three attempts. How does that work? Are you doing all three of these motions back to back or is there time in between? How does that work? Yeah. So the order is always the same. It's always squat, then bench press, then deadlift. So that never changes. Then you do all of your squat attempts first. And then you move on to the bench press and then you move on to the deadlift. So powerlifting meets are typically, if they're, if there's a lot of competitors, it's kind of a long day. So what will happen is uh, they'll, they'll organize people into flights. And so each flight will do their first, second, and third attempt on the squat. And then however many flights there are just depends on how many competitors there are. So when your flight is called, then you'll go in and do your opening lift. And then you'll generally have somewhere between five and 15 minutes before you go again and you'll get all three of your squat attempts and then there's going to be a break while they set up everything and then you move on to the bench press and it's the same way three attempts between five and 15 minutes usually depending on the the size of the crowd there and then you move on to the deadlift and and do the same thing so talk to us a little bit about the opening lift so that's there's some importance to that first what you decide that first yeah, weight is going to be right absolutely those are called your openers and those are going to be, that's going to be your first attempt on the squat, the bench press and the deadlift. Those are your opening weights. It, most of the time, there's going to be some mechanism to which you provide those to the judges prior to the competition starting. And that that's often done in conjunction with the weigh-ins. So t depending on the organization, some weigh-ins are like the meets are typically Saturday morning. Some weigh-ins will be Saturday morning. So we'll say the competition starts at 10. Maybe the weigh-ins are between eight and nine or seven to nine or something like that. Some organizations, they do weigh-ins the night before, but you'll often have to report your weight and as well as your opening attempts during the weigh-ins. And so the quickest way to not have fun in a meet is to bomb out, which means you miss your opener. So you never want to select a weight that's too heavy. We kind of have some rules of thumb that we go by with that, which is mine is usually the way I plan out a meet for somebody is I usually base everything around their second attempt. So we kind of know this based on our training. And I usually set the opener somewhere around 90% of whatever their second attempt is going to be. So it's a, it's a weight that we know we can get. A good rule of thumb is, is a weight you know you can get for about three reps. You know, so you if you know you can squat 200 pounds for a set of three legit depth, good form, all that kind of stuff, that would be maybe a good opening attempt it would be around like 200 pounds. So it's, it, it's kind of a way you, you want to get a number on the board because there's a likelihood that you may not get all the weights that you plan for. So, but you don't want to get a zero recorded uh, because then you're going to be non-competitive and it's just not as fun to walk away with a zero. So you want to make sure you get something on the books. And so you want to select a weight that you know that you can get. And so that's a, that's kind of a good rule of thumb. And the thing is with powerlifting, you have to take into account, you can't back up. 
So if you say, I'm going to open with 200 pounds and you don't get it, you can try it again. You can even go up and wait, but you can't go back down. You can't say, I got, you know, in the gym, you can, if you say, oh, I'm going to try 200, you don't get it. You can go, oh, okay, I'll just try 180 or something today. You can't do that in powerlifting meet. You can't go back down from whatever your attempt was. So that, that opener is critical because to your point, you can't go back. If you can't lift that, you're, you're in big trouble. Yeah. And it's <laughs> good for getting to, the You don't get to say my second the... attempt, take some weight off and, and then you right. hit that. Yeah. There's right. no do over. So no now if you, sometimes you can have a lift where you make the lift and we'll go over this too a little bit. And this is important to know kind of the rules of the meet. It's a little bit different than in the gym. There's certain criteria that you have to meet. You have to follow certain commands and that sort of thing. So you can make a lift but it still doesn't count if you break one of the rules. So the lift can get disqualified. And sometimes if you have a lifter, let's say on the bench press, you have to wait usually, or the squat, you generally have to wait for the command from a judge to rack the weight. So you squat the weight down, you stand up, you have to wait for the judge that's in front of you to, to give you the rack command. He'll say rack it, which means you have to, then you walk it back in. If you rack it early, that lift is going to be disqualified. And so you can say, oh, well, whatever, I got it. I'm not that worried about it. I'll just make sure I listen to the commands on the next attempt. And you can actually go up from there. You don't have to redo it. Now, if you if you barely get the weight, you know, and they, they give it a red uh, red lights for whatever reason, then then you can redo that same weight, but you just can't go back down. Got it. Okay. So, and we'll pick apart some of the rules for each of the lifts as we get into this a little bit more. But for right now, let's talk about weight classes. You'd mentioned weight classes. So, what does that look like? I think most of us have at least a general idea, but what does that look like in powerlifting? What are the weight classes? Actually, I, I do believe that it it does vary a little bit by the organization. So USA Powerlifting goes by, uh, that's the main organization in the United States. They go by the IPF rules, which is the International Powerlifting Federation. And so they have certain weight classes that you have to compete in. It's It's generally something like, it's around like every 20 pounds worth of body weight. In the old days, it was, you had the two main ones like that I used to compete in were, were hundred, you had like 198 pounds and then 220 pounds and then 242 pounds. And the reason those are kind of like odd numbers is because they typically do everything in kilos. And so the kilo numbers are a bit more even. And so you just, what I tell people is like, you know, the weight classes and all that, you, you just on the, on your first meet, especially, which is, you know, primarily who we're talking to here is people that are going to maybe sign up for their first meet. Just go in at your natural weight class, whatever you weigh now. And that's going to, you want to try to be, you know, roughly at the top of a weight class. So let's say 198 pounds, that means 198 and under. So the next one down from that is usually 180 um, or 181, I think. So you don't want to really, if you weigh 182, you're going to compete in the 198 class. So it might be better to lose a pound you know, you it, generally heavier is stronger. So it, ideally, if you're going to compete at say 198, you want to weigh, you know, 190 between 190 and 198. You don't you don't necessarily want to be way down at the bottom. If you're you know if your plans are to if you want to place well, typically the heavier you are, the better you're going to do. So you want to be just right at that number or just a little bit under. But I don't advise people to get it. You'll if you read about powerlifting online or watch videos, you're going to hear a lot about like weight cutting and that kind of stuff. And that's just something that you you really want to avoid unless you're an experienced competitor. Just go and lift at whatever your natural weight class is. I would say if it's your first meet, don't even worry about it. You just go in whatever you normally weigh is what you you just go and compete in whatever that class is because 
what I tell people under on your first powerlifting meet, your job is really just to go in there and get some experience competing. You know, if you win, you win. If you place and get a trophy, that's cool. But but really, you you want to go in and just get your feet wet and what it's like to compete, get familiar with the rules, get familiar with the environment and that sort of thing. So the less stuff you have to worry about, like trying to fit into a certain weight class, you know, by the skin of your teeth or whatever, you you don't want to, you don't want to throw those extra variables and extra obstacles at you. It's just one more thing to worry about. And you'll have enough stuff to worry about, you know, without having to worry about trying to shoehorn yourself into a weight class. Yeah, that's, that's great advice for, especially for a first powerlifting competition. You know, maybe if, you know, you're like me, I'm, I'm 200 pounds. Okay. Maybe, maybe it's worth me trying to get down to 198 for weigh in, but right. really just show up and weigh in and, and enjoy right. this experience of this first one. Right. Yeah. Well, that's a good segue into my next question. Cause what I want to talk, we talked a lot in the last time you were on the show, we talked a lot about why somebody over 50 would want to pick up a barbell, do these compound lifts, basically these lifts that we're talking about and work on building strength and why that's important and how to do that. Right. We spent a lot of time talking about that. Tell us why someone might consider, somebody over 50 specifically, might consider competing in a powerlifting competition. You've alluded to it a couple of times, but why would somebody over 50 consider doing this? Yeah, I mean, first, I mean, it's some if you're a competitive person and the older that you get, there's less avenues to compete physically. It's harder to compete in field sports and they, there just may, may not even be opportunities to do that. But if you want that outlet to, to compete, Powerlifting is a great way to do it. It really is accessible to anybody. You can do it. You don't have to be the strongest guy in the room to to compete in powerlifting. So if you just if you enjoy competition, it's a great way to kind of get that release. If you're like me, I was never super competitive in terms of feeling the need to go out there and compete. But the reason I did it and the reason I I like for some of my clients to do it is that it really helps to fix your training. It's just a, it's a, it, if you sign up for a competition, it's going to make your training better. It's a built-in form of accountability. It's a, we talk about goal setting all the time and, you know, goals without some sort of timeline attached to them are just kind of hopes a lot of times. So, and whether that's, that's true in any, with any goal, you know, whether you're talking about weight loss or, or anything, you want to have some sort of end date attached to that, or else it's just, it's very easy to kind of keep pushing the, you know, pushing it down the road, kicking the can down the road. So if you want to get your training really on track and really be consistent with it, you know, having a, having a date on the calendar for the three months from now or six months from now, it's going to make your training much better. You're going to be more consistent. You're going to show up for your workouts more often. You're going to work harder while you're there. You're going to have some direction in your training. So it's not just this general sense of, I just want to get strong because I mean, that's, that's fine. But the longer that you train, the longer that you lift, the more helpful it is to kind of narrow your focus of, okay, well, what I want to get strong, but maybe what exercises do I want to get strong at? Well, turns out squat, bench, and deadlift are as good as any, you know, to pick. It, it can be arbitrary, but those are three really good lifts that will build your entire body. So, and you, you know, you can compete in them and it will just, it's just going to make your training a lot better. So that's, if you care about your training and you want to be consistent with it and you want to make sure you're putting adequate effort into all of your sessions and that sort of thing, it can be good just to have that built-in accountability because it's just like we talked about before we came on air. If you want to lose weight or something, you know, sign up for a 5K or a 10K because if you know that you've got that date on the calendar, you're not going to skip your runs. You're going to run a little further. You're going to run a little harder. You know, you're going to do, you're going to watch your diet closer. Same thing with powerlifting. If you know you got to stay in that weight class, you're going to pay more attention to your nutrition. So you're using that date 
on the calendar as kind of a, you know, to kind of help you reach maybe what's a more important goal, which is just developing your health and fitness further, developing your strength, building muscle mass. That may be your ultimate goal. And the meat is just a, a means to make sure that you get there maybe faster and more efficiently. Yeah, that's, that's very well said. And so I, that's what I really wanted to pull out of this. And a lot of people are probably can relate to your example of a 5k, right? Most people that sign up for a 5k aren't in it to win it, right? They don't right. think that they're going to win or they're not even going to win their, their age division. They're just in it for that social experience, for the accountability. They're probably doing it with a, a training partner. So it's a very similar set of circumstances yeah, here, right? Exactly. For this first, this first powerlifting meet. So let's kind of segue from that and talk about what sort of prerequisites are we looking for? So somebody's listening to this and we got folks all along the spectrum, right? Folks that have yet to pick up that barbell, folks that are pretty far along, pretty strong. Where, what sort of prerequisites do we have for starting training for our first powerlifting competition? Well, to kind of segue into that, I would say, you know, there's no reason to be afraid of one. You know, a lot of people are going to be intimidated to sign up for one because they think, oh man, I'm, you know, I'm not strong. I'm not, you know, I've never competed before. My, my lifts are very pedestrian and I'm going to be competing against, you know, all these animals, these savages at the power. And that's not really the case. And what you'll find is that there's going to be a lot of regular people just like you competing at the meet. And even if there aren't, you're going to find that that community in powerlifting is very supportive. Some of the biggest, strongest guys, they're, they're teddy bears a lot of times, and they're going to be encouraging you. And they they like to see new people get involved. You know, it's a very, for the most part, you know, it's a very humble sport in terms of nobody cares what you're lifting. Everybody's only concerned with what they're lifting. Nobody cares with what you're lifting. So you don't have to worry about showing up and, you know, not putting up a super massive total. Nobody cares. All those, nobody's paying attention to your numbers. You're going to have people there that will help you and support you. So it's not, there's no reason to really be afraid of the environment or anything like that. You'll generally find that the, that the people there are very supportive. So in terms of you know, what do you need to know to go into one as you basically just need to know how to do the lifts. You don't have to be strong. Most people that are going to sign up for powerlifting meet have been lifting for a while. If they're even going to consider it, have, or have going to spend some time under the bar, but there's no prerequisite in terms of how much strength that you need to have. You do need to be able to execute the lifts. You need to be able to perform a squat to parallel or slightly below. You know, you need to be strong enough to lift, you know, the bar because you can't go any lower than that. But most people that are that are going to do that or have that level of strength. So the main thing is, is you just need to be familiar with the execution of the lifts. You need to look at the organization that you're going to compete at because there's different ones and they all have a little bit different rules. So you need to be familiar with the criteria for what is a good lift and what the rules are with each lift. Like for instance, the bench press in most organizations is going to have a pause on the chest. You may not be used to that. You may be do, used, most people do a touch and go bench where they just lower down and touch the barbell to the chest and go right back up. So you need to familiarize yourself with the rules and the commands. And then you need to, you need to practice those rules and those commands in your training, at least for a few weeks prior to the competition. So whether you have a training partner or a coach, or it's, if you're just training by yourself, you need to be familiar with those. You need to know, like, for instance, on the squat, they'll typically give you like a down command. So you'll unrack the bar. You're going to take the bar out of the rack. You're going to stand there. You're going to look at the judge. There's a head judge who sits right in front of you. 
he's going to, he's going to say something like down or squat or something like that. And he'll give you a motion with his arm to go down. And then you, you go down and come back up and then you wait for him to give you a command to rack the bar. So you want to practice that stuff a little bit before you get to the meet. So it's not your first time. You're going to be excited. You're going to be nervous. And it's very easy to forget those commands to, and when you rack that, you get the weight up and you walk it back to the rack prematurely. You don't want to get a lift disqualified for something on a, on a technicality like that, you know, on the bench press, they're typically going to give you a press command and a rack command. So you have to lower the bar down to the chest. You have to pause it until it becomes motionless. They're going to give you a command to press it. So you press up and a lot of people don't realize when you have to pause a bench press on your chest, in general, it's going to be significantly less weight than what you do when you're a touch, use a touch and go. So if you bench, if you bench press 200 pounds with a touch and go, you're not going to be able to do 200 pounds with a pause if you've never practiced that pause. So you need to know where your strength is, you know, on that pause on the, on the deadlift, they typically give you the only command they usually give you is a down command. So when you pick the weight up and you stand up with it, you're going to look at the head judge and he's going to, once you've locked it out, he's going to give you a command to lower the bar down and you set it back down. So you just got to familiarize yourself with the rules and the commands and then practice those. Other than that, you just want to find a, find a meet that's within driving distance and sign up for it. Yeah, no, I, I love it. Yeah, look one up, put it on the calendar, right? Yeah. Okay, so the, so it sounds like the prerequisites are then really you have to know these lifts and you have to know the rules. And is there a right. good resource that people can, I, I suppose it depends on the federation that's um, in, yeah, in charge whatever, of Yeah, you know, whatever organization you're going to go yeah. to, you know, USAPL, which is USA Powerlifting, there's USPA, which is, I don't know, I don't know what they all stand for, actually. US Powerlifting Association, I guess, is what it stands for. Those are those are two that put on a lot of meets, pretty common. Here locally in, in, in the Houston, Texas, Oklahoma area, we have a lot of NASA meets, which is NASA. It's just the Natural Association of Strength Athletes. And they put on a lot of meets here. There's others for sure around the country. So you just want to kind of, if you're at a gym that has people that compete, ask them who they compete with, where they compete, and you'll you'll find it out. And then on those those organizations will have a website typically where you go to, you know, sign up for the meet and pay and all that sort of stuff. There is usually a fee to pay. It's usually something like, it's usually fairly cheap, 25, 30 bucks to enter the meet. You often have to buy a membership to that organization, which will be another 25, 30 bucks. You know, and that's just a way to get more money out of you basically, but you'll have to, you pay there and then they're going to have somewhere on the website. They'll generally have like a rules manual that you can either print off or look at and that'll have everything that you need to know. The other thing is to look at is the, the type of equipment that you need to wear. You don't just show up in a t-shirt and shorts. You wear, you have to wear a, like a singlet, like a wrestling singlet. You know, there's places where you can, you buy powerlifting singlets. So <laughs> that's usually a lot of people don't want to go. They don't want to wear the singlet, but that's there so that they can see everything that they need to see. If you have on loose baggy clothing, you can't, it's hard to judge squat depth. So the singlet makes it to where you know, they can judge all the criteria for the, for the depth and that sort of thing. And then they're going to have, they're going to have rules on the type of like supportive equipment you can wear. So like a weightlifting belt, they'll have specifications for the weightlifting. Most weightlifting belts are going to be within, within the rules, but you can't wear like the, you know, the Walmart shelf stalker belt. It's got to be like an actual weightlifting belt. If you're wearing some rules, uh, some Federations have different rules on on whether you can wear knee sleeves or knee wraps, that sort of thing. So you typically want to compete in like what they call raw or unequipped powerlifting, which is not 
you're going to see things online about like bent shirts and squat suits and all that. And that's most of the organizations have gone away from all that anyways. There's not a lot of interest in that anymore. So you don't, you don't, you don't need to worry about any of that. Usually it's going to be just a belt and a pair of knee sleeves, but you do need to make sure that the sleeves that you're wearing are approved by that federation. Most of them are. And then other than that, you know, I wouldn't get into knee wraps and all that kind of stuff. Cause that's a whole nother, um, the ball game, learning how to wrap your knees and you, you generally need a partner to wrap your knees and that sort of thing. So for most people, a good pair of squat shoes, or at least some flat non cushy shoes is what you want to wear a weightlifting belt and maybe a pair of knee sleeves. And that's all you need. They they may have rules on the t-shirt that you can wear under the singlet. Typically, they want something just like a plain white or gray t-shirt. They don't want something with like logos on it. Some rule, some organizations have weird rules on like logos and stuff. Definitely can't have anything with profanity or political stuff or any of that kind of stuff. So just a plain white or gray or black t-shirt is usually your best bet under the singlet. Gotcha. Okay. And so for our for our purposes here, for our first timer, they're going to have to track down a singlet. And I, I've heard a story and I can't remember who told it. Somebody showed up for their first powerlifting meet in their Chuck Taylors and their baggy basketball shorts and a t-shirt. And luckily for, for this person, he found somebody who had a, an extra singlet in their bag that they could lend him because otherwise he wouldn't have been able to lift, right? He had right. no idea. And so, yeah, there are a couple of things you definitely want to go online. You want to kind of research the event that you're getting ready to do. Make sure you understand their rules. But don't be overwhelmed by them, right? I mean, it's, at the end of the day, this is your our first outing. We're looking to have yeah. fun here. So let's it talk can seem a little bit. It can seem overwhelming, all of the, you know, all the little technical mm-hmm. rules, and all, but it's really not. I mean, right. it's, it's really not that big of a deal. I, I'd say, you know, for the, if you want to get the knee sleeves and the singlet and all that, I, I use the SBD brand, which is just stands for squat bench deadlift, SBD. They sell good knee sleeves that are approved by, I think, just about every organization. And they, they sell singlets. They have sizing charts on there. You know, order that stuff. Don't, don't wait till like two weeks before the meet to order that stuff. Because sometimes, like especially with knee sleeves, they have a sizing chart, but it's not, they're not always a perfect fit. Sometimes I tell people to order two pairs. Like if you're not sure, you know, you're kind of in the middle. They'll, they'll tell you how to measure your knees and your calves and all that to get it. But I usually tell people get two pairs and then try them both on and send the other one back. Yeah. So, and you want to lift in that stuff a couple times before you, you don't want to, if you've never lifted in a belt and you've never worn knee sleeves, don't wait until the meet to put all that stuff on. You want to train in that stuff for a little while before you actually go to competition. So you get used to how it feels. You know, some, some guys like a real, real tight belt. Some guys don't. Some people like really tight sleeves. Some people don't. So you just kind of want to, you want to play with that stuff a little bit before you get there. Yeah, that's great advice. That's a little like our runner trying on, you know, trying a brand new pair of shoes on race day. Probably not right. the best day to, yeah, to exactly. do that. You want to break right? them in a little bit. So, want to break them in. Yeah. So you, you want to be comfortable in what you're going to, what you're going to compete in. All right. So Andy, is there anybody who's not a good candidate for competition? Well, I mean, if we're talking about older folks, for sure. I mean, if you just really don't want to, you don't have to. I mean, you can still get strong and have good productive training without it. So if it has absolutely zero appeal to you, you know, you don't necessarily have to do it. But if you can't, if you can't, like the, the squat is usually the one that may give, you know, some older folks the most trouble. If you can't get the bar in the right position consistently on your back, or you, you know, you have a lot of trouble with the squat depth or that sort of thing, like with mobility issues or whatever is you just need to be able to perform the lifts, you know, to the criteria in the meet. Or if you have like a lot of people, some people have a hard time training the bench press consistently. They get, 
they, it bothers their, they get shoulder pain, that sort of thing. So if, if you have lifts that you really can't, because in order to compete in the lift, you need to, you have to train them. You know, you need to, at a minimum, you're going to want to be able to do each of these lifts probably once a week. It's part of a training program. And if, if your body won't handle that, you don't necessarily want to sign up for something that tests you to compete in a meet in a lift that you can't do or that you can't train, you know? So for most people, they're probably, if they're considering powerlifting, they probably don't have those problems. But, you know, I train a lot of people that are in my gym that are sixties and seventies and even into their eighties and such that, you know, some of these lifts are, are hard for them to, to get into. And they really have to be coached hard in order to do them safely and to do them where they don't have pain. And we often have to use other, other exercises in lieu of the bench press or in lieu of the squat, you know, in order to train them. And so if you're one of those people where the, any of these lifts give you a lot of trouble, then you probably don't want to sign up for a meet that forces you to compete in them. That's a good point. So it's really, if you can safely perform the lifts, you're, you're in. And if you have some sort right. of mobility or other reason why you couldn't, probably not a good candidate, right? right. So let, let me ask you this very selfishly. What about us tall, thin guys and gals? So I'm, I'm 6'2", 200 pounds. If I've got to compete, it's a weight class, not a height class sport. Right. If I'm competing against a 200 pounder, let's just say we're 198, but this other guy's five foot six and 200 pounds and I'm six, two at 200 pounds. Is, is that any, do you have some it, advice for us taller well, folks, longer so levers some, here? So, you know, this is where you get into the question about weight gain. Most people know if they, if they gain weight, especially, you know, quality muscle mass, but you know, sometimes even, even fat mass, you know, we always say mass moves mass, you know, bigger people are generally stronger for a long time in powerlifting. A lot of the short guys kind of dominated because it is, again, if you're five foot six and 200, you're typically carrying a little bit more muscle than the guy that's six, two and 200. So theoretically you would have an advantage. If you look at a lot of powerlifting nowadays, some of the big tall guys actually do really, really well, but they've pushed their weight up really, really, really high. I mean, you look at the, an extreme example would be, you know, if you look at strongman competition, you look at Brian Shaw and Hofthor, you know, from if people know him. Those are really Game tall of, guys, right? Game of, yeah, they're real. I think Hofthor's they're, they're six, huge. eight or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, they're big, but, they're big humans. You know, yeah. and what, what they finally, what they figured out was that, you know, and the, this, again, this is an extreme example, that, but, you know, those guys push their body weight up into the high 300s, low 400s in some cases, and they're not fat. And that's what they figured out was that the tall is not really a disadvantage if you're big enough, because if you have those longer levers are actually stronger. I mean, if you think of just the, the physics of a catapult or something like that, the longer, as long as it's got a big enough engine on it on the other side, then the longer catapult will throw the, throw the stone further, right? Even though it has further to travel, the same thing is true with our body, which is just a system of levers. If you have enough muscle to operate those longer levers, the longer levers are actually stronger. You just have to be big enough and heavy enough to where you've got enough muscle to operate those longer levers. So if two, two guys have the same amount of muscle, the shorter lever will generally be stronger, but if, but the bigger guy has potential, he has more potential to put on more size than the shorter guy does actually, yeah. but right. you have to really be willing to push your body weight up. It's generally not going to be probably who we're talking about here. Your older folks who are 50 plus that are in this for health and fitness are not looking to push their body weight up, you know, into the 300s. So right. th again, this is just more of a theoretical kind of conversation, but I would say the the deadlift is unique in that sometimes it gives an advantage to taller guys depending on your build. Where a lot of times what happens, this happened to me because I'm short. I'm I'm like 5'5" 
And so I was a good squatter. I was a very good bench presser, but I was not a good deadlifter because being shorter with my build, I also had, I had very short arms like T-Rex arms and small hands. And that doesn't necessarily lend itself well to a big deadlift. So a lot of your, your short guys that are really good on the bench press, then they wind up not being so good at deadlifter. Some of your taller guys are not good at the bench press necessarily because they have really long arms. So they've got a, they've got a long way to push that bar. But if they've, if they're tall with long arms and big hands, they often are very good at the deadlift because even though they're taller, their range of motion is actually not that far. If you've got really, really long arms, you don't have to pull that bar as far and you can make up a lot more ground on the deadlift. If you've got a, if you've got a, an advantage on your build, a lot of times you can pull significantly more weight than the guy with short arms. So, you know, that's one of those things where you can almost become a deadlift specialist, you know, and really, really focus on building up the deadlift. Because if you can get that sucker, if you're tall and you've got longer arms, you can, you can really build a nice deadlift. I mean, you can make up a lot of ground. Yeah. And that's going to be your heaviest number. So that that's great advice. So for tall folks out there like me, we've got these long, long arms here. Let's, let's A, get stronger and B, let's, let's really focus in on that deadlift. If you're thinking about this first competition, mm -hmm. because where you might be at a disadvantage in those other lifts, this is going to be your heaviest lift and your chance to, to catch up. So th thanks for sharing that. And yeah. wanted to make sure I, I got that question in there. All right. So we've got our person, they're interested, they, they're in, they, they want to do this, they've been thinking about it, they're listening to this, and they're, they've just decided, they've committed right now, you know what, I'm going to find one, I'm going to do it. How long does this person need in terms of a training runway to get ready for a first competition? Not very long. If you've been, if you've been squatting and bench pressing and deadlifting in your regular training, just as part of your general strength training program, not very long, especially if you've been doing a lot of the work in the kind of the strength rep range. So let's say, you know, if you've been doing a lot of five rep work and that sort of thing, that's going to translate pretty well to the lower weight stuff. If you're, if you do a lot of higher rep training, if you do a lot of sets of 10, you know, you, you squat and you bench and you deadlift, but you do a lot of lighter weight, higher rep stuff, higher volume, you might, you need to spend some time getting yourself acquainted, working with heavier weights. It, it can be a good idea to test, to do when you, when you go ahead and, and sign up, let's say you sign up it's let's say it's january and you sign up for something in march you might at the before you actually begin the training cycle you might actually do like kind of a mock meet you know by yourself is what we call it and it's not you know you just kind of take out a heavy squat single a heavy bench single and a heavy deadlift single and just kind of see where you're at with those and then you can there's all different types of percentage based programs and things like that that you can use once you kind of know where you're at. So you go, okay, I can squat 200, I can bench 185 and I can deadlift 250. I, I know where I'm at now. Now I've got an idea of where to begin my training and I can train for the next three months and try to build on those numbers. But you don't want to go into a meet, not having any idea what you can do for a one rep max, because if you're used to training, especially with like sets of 10 or something like that, that it's a long ways away from what a heavy single is, you're not going to have any idea of, of where to be at. So you want to do most of your training in, in preparation for the meet is going to be a lot of stuff like in the five rep range. As you get closer to the meet, you might drop it down a little bit and do some more, you know, some more work with, you know, sets of two and three and that sort of thing. And then save your heavy singles until right up before the meet to make sure you're used to those heavier loads. But there's all kinds of different 
training programs and philosophies for powerlifting. I mean, a lot of guys go real, real heavy all the time. A lot of guys don't like to do anything heavier until just a couple of weeks before the meet because there's a risk of kind of peaking too early or burning yourself out too early if you're going if you're going too heavy too often. So you're when we talk about building strength, your five rep range is kind of your meat and potatoes. That's a good that's a good rep rep range to build the type of strength that will translate well into one rep maxes. And then your as you get closer, you start to taper that down a little bit. You still maybe do some fives, but you start working in some some threes and some twos and that sort of stuff in there. So you get a little bit heavier. You start to prepare your nervous system for those loads. And then maybe, you know, a week out, you you take out some some singles in those lifts, but not necessarily maximal. Because again, you don't want to necessarily peak too early. But if you read online, you know, where most people get their information nowadays. You know, you'll see a lot of very advanced tapering and peaking programs and that sort of thing. And a lot of those are not necessary for the beginner. A more advanced lifter, you know, he's to, in order to improve to go from, say, a, a 550 squat to a 600 squat, which is not going to be the people that we're talking to now. But for a guy like that, he's having to put a ton of training stress on his body during the the meat preparation cycle in order to elicit further adaptation. You know, in order to move from 550 to 575, he's going to have to do a lot of work during the training cycle. And that work necessitates maybe a longer taper and peaking phase prior to the meat. Whereas if somebody who's working in those lower numbers, say the, you know, 200 pound squats and 100, you know, 150 bench presses and, and things like that, they don't need you know, a week or 10 days necessarily to deload and taper. The meet is on Saturday. You could potentially train heavy on Monday and Tuesday, you know, heavy bench Monday, heavy squat deadlift Tuesday, and then just take Wednesday, Thursday, Friday off. So just a very short kind of rest and recuperation phase before the meet on Saturday, because newer lifters are going to detrain faster. So if they take a 10 day tapering phase, you know, a 10 days of light training, they're going to actually going to detrain during that period a little bit. So newer lifters typically are going to train, basically train like normal right up until the week of the meet. And then, you know, sometimes just that week might be a lighter week or just even the latter half of the week might be lighter, depending on how you have your training set up. Most people, you know, the way we set up their training is that they will have like, it's going to be like a four day split. That's probably the most common. So like Monday and Thursday would be your bench days. And Tuesday, Friday, you would train the squat and the deadlift together. That's very common. And then, so if you're doing a, a program like that, you know, basically right up until the week of the meet, you would train like normal. Maybe Monday and Tuesday, you know, you train basically heavy and like normal and then take the latter half of the week off. You know, you don't, you don't want to go, you got to strike that balance. And it's tough, even especially for advanced lifters. There's a balance there between giving your body appropriate time to rest and recuperate prior to the meet versus taking too much time off and detraining. And so it's, you have to, that's one of those things where experience and knowing your own body, there's no substitute for that. Some guys need longer peak deload periods or tapering periods. Some guys need shorter times, but for the newer lifter, it's not going to be more than a week and usually maybe even a little bit less than that. Now you do want to avoid, you know, Monday and Tuesday, we talk about training harder or you may keep things heavy, but you don't necessarily want to do a ton of volume. You don't want to go into the meat still sore from previous workouts. So it might be a very low volume of training, something like just three sets of three, 
you know, with a fairly heavy weight, you know, would be a good protocol, something like that. And then take the latter half of the week off and let yourself recover and feed yourself, hydrate, get plenty of sleep, that sort of thing. So you show up ready to go on Saturday. Okay. So, and again, if folks are interested more in, cause you had referenced, you know, your normal training routine, that kind of three sets of five sort of thing. If folks want to learn more about that, go back and listen to our last episode with Andy, cause you broke that down. I mean, we, like I said, we spoke for well over an hour and you really gave a great uh, overview of programming there. So go back, listen to that. We'll give Andy's contact uh, info here at the end of this, and you guys can get more information there. But really, so it sounds like if you're interested in doing this, it's just a matter of committing then, right? So somebody who's already been working on these lifts, understands these lifts, they're in a good place. Perhaps they listened to your last episode and have implemented some of those training principles. Basically, they're ready. They're not going to really change things a whole lot, right? They may they may get a little more intensity towards the end for this very first powerlifting competition, but really, there's not a whole lot that has to change there. So, let's talk about and we alluded to this a little bit, or you did. Let's talk a little bit about the mindset. Let's start with the mindset and training, and then maybe we'll transition talk a little bit about mindset on competition day. But is the mindset when I'm training for a powerlifting meet, is it different than just me trying to get strong and capable in general? Yeah. I mean, you're going to focus all of your training on the the squat, the bench and the deadlift. So you're going to specificity is king in lifting. So if you're going to get good at those lifts, you need to do those lifts. You may have a series of assistance exercises that you do, all of which are there in order to build up the squat, the bench and the deadlift. So that's typically why we would split things up. You know, a lot of guys will do full body routines where they do the squat, the bench, and the deadlift in the same day. That has some advantages. It has some disadvantages. The main disadvantage is that it those types of workouts take a really long time to get through. The advantages is that when you show up on meet day, you're going to be, your body will be conditioned for the rigors of doing a heavy squat and a bench all in one day. So typically what I do though, is the bench is not that big of a deal. It's the, it's, if you're a lot of, in the past, if you look at the way training programs were done, a lot of the power lifters in the eighties and nineties, it was a three day a week uh, plan. Monday was squat. Wednesday was bench day. Friday was deadlift day. And that's fine. It worked for a lot of, a lot of people. The downside of that is that if you're used to always deadlifting fresh, in other words, if that's the first Friday is your deadlift day, and that's the first movement that you do on that day. And you're used to doing that in a state where you're, where you're rested and recovered, you may not be prepared to do the deadlift after heavy squatting. You know, your legs are going to be tired. Your low back's going to be tired. Then the weird thing about a meet too, is you think, well, let's say I squat at nine or 10 AM, you know, but if it's a busy meet, I may not get around to deadlifting at 12 o'clock or one o'clock in the afternoon, I'll be rested. And it's actually not really true. You actually kind of start setting up a little bit you know, that caught the kind of the powerlifting rigor mortis starts to set in where you actually start getting that fatigue. You think about if you do a heavy leg workout, you know, how do you feel after that three or four hours later? You don't usually feel like going to doing another leg workout. You know, it's often easier to do it right after the fact. So you do want to have your legs conditioned to be able to deadlift kind of in a state of fatigue. So usually the way that we structure things now is you'll have a bench day, you know, Monday and Thursday or something like that. And then Fridays or uh, Tuesdays and Fridays will be squats and deadlifts. And so you'll, and you, there's different ways to arrange that a lot of times just for practical reasons. Let's say Tuesday, you would squat heavy and deadlift light. And then Friday you would 
squat light and deadlift heavy. So you're, you know, you're not necessarily always doing them both heavy in the same workout, but at least your legs are conditioned to, to deadlifting after the squat workout. And so you, that'll give you a better gauge of where your strength is actually at. And then following those movements, you know, the bench press generally benefits more from assistance movements than the, the squat and the deadlift are unique in that they kind of serve as their own best assistance movements. You know, they're highly stressful and they train a lot of muscle mass and they train a lot of muscle mass very thoroughly. So if you're doing a lot of squatting and deadlifting, you may not need a lot of additional lower body assistance work, especially if you're older, because you just won't recover very well. If you throw in a lot of lunges or glute ham raises or whatever, you can definitely overdo it. Um, so things like sled dragging, actually sled pushing, those actually make really good assistance movements for older people. It may seem a little kind of hardcore for a lot of people, but if your gym has those types of, if not every gym has that, but if your gym has a little turf area and they've got a, a place where you can you know, push a sled or pull a sled that actually makes a great compliment to squatting and deadlifting because it gets you some extra leg volume and some conditioning. It can build some size and strength on the legs, but it doesn't make you sore. Whereas if you go do a lot, bunch of leg pressing and lunges and all that kind of stuff, a lot of that stuff will, it, it's got an eccentric component to it, which means it's creating muscle damage and there's a lot of soreness there. And it's going to be kind of competing with your ability to recover from the, the squats and the deadlifts. So you may not need as much lower body assistance when you get to the, to the upper body on the bench press, you look at things like maybe you go bench press and then you do something like incline presses or dumbbell presses or dips. If you can do them direct tricep work, you know, anything that will strengthen the muscles, shoulder presses, anything that will strengthen all of the constituent muscle groups that are involved in the bench press, which is primarily the pecs, the shoulders and the triceps. But then you got to, you want to look at the backside of the body too, your lats, your upper back, you know, so things like pull-ups and chin-ups, if you can do those are good compliments, lots of different rowing exercises, things for the rear delts, all of that stuff can help not only make you stronger and build a bigger back, which will give you a little bit more cushion to push off of, but it also will keep your shoulders healthy, kind of having a little bit of balance there with your pushing and pulling. So, but a lot of the assistance movements that you'll benefit from are, are just variations of the main lifts. You know, close grip bench presses, for instance, are a really good complement to add to your, if you want to add some volume and, and get some, you know, direct strengthening movements for the triceps, close grip benches are good. On the lower body days, things like Romanian deadlifts can be good to get some direct, you know, strengthening of the hamstrings and things like that. So there's a lot of different things you can do. You just don't want to get carried away with it. Most of your work, if you're a beginner, is going to be focused on just doing more volume on the lifts themselves. Gotcha. So for those of us over 50, we're, we're looking for that kind of that fine line in between getting enough volume and intensity, but being able to recover so that we can get back in and do it. And of course not overdoing so that we end up injured and then backing all the way up. So speaking of that, let's just address the elephant in the room here right now. There's a, still a lot of well-meaning medical folks out there telling us over 50 that it's a bad idea for us to squat because that's bad for our knees. We shouldn't deadlift because that's, of course, bad for our back. Not for It's not for us. We should go for a walk. We should use an elliptical. Um now we're talking about competing in, in in a sport that's a one rep max of these three compound lifts. How safe is this? It's it's as long as you are, and and, and I don't really think this has anything to do with age. I mean, you, it has uh, younger people would be at the same risk. We talked about it at the beginning of of before you go to the meet of just 
testing out some of these lifts with a kind of a moderate effort. So when we talked about doing that mock meet of just seeing where you're at, we're not talking about necessarily going up to a all out one rep max if you're not conditioned for it, but just taking out a heaviest single at a, at a moderate load. You know, if you've got the, if the mechanics are down and you're, you're warming up well and you're not being excessive with your loads, you know, there's, there's really no reason that the data just doesn't support that heavy lifting is dangerous for people of any age of any population. It just doesn't support that. I mean, anecdotally, you you don't see it that often. I mean, people get injured when you, when in sports, but if you look at the data across populations, you're not seeing a lot of catastrophic injuries from heavy powerlifting. It's got a very low injury rate. So you know, you need to know where you're at. And most people don't really have a problem with that. Most people, it's the other, you have to push them a little harder to go heavier. You know, it's the younger guys that are the ones that are getting themselves hurt doing, taking out loads that they're not ready to handle. And so you build your muscle and you build your base of strength with as kind of that moderate rep range, that five rep range, that's building, that's building the muscle tissue. It's building the connective tissue. And it's prepare, all of that is preparing you for those heavier loads. And then as you get closer to the meat, you're slowly tapering the weight up and the volume down. So you're not going necessarily straight from lightweights to heavyweights. You're, you're starting with the sets of five and then three or four weeks out from the meat, five weeks out, you're tapering down to, you know, slightly heavier sets of threes. You're letting your body absorb those weight increases and bringing the rep ranges down a little bit so you can hold your form together good, adding a little bit of weight each week you know, and then kind of slowly bringing the rep ranges down. And so that you're, you're easing into that, that, that taper down, your body is prepared at every, at every step. You're not just leaping from light training into, into a powerlifting meet. And so your, your body is highly adaptable, you know, and as long as you're not exceeding, you're not using loads that are exceeding your body's ability to do them, you're, you're going to be fine. Okay. So what I hear you saying then, as long as we're per- performing these movements correctly and we are, we're practicing these, right? We're, we're mm-hmm. training we're, and we're doing these training and we understand what we're capable of. This, this sport isn't inherently dangerous, certainly not yeah. any more dangerous than any other sport then, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's all about just, it's all about just gradual increases. If the most you've ever squatted is 200 pounds, you know, your next step is not 250. Right. It's two, it's two Oh five. And your next yeah. step from there is two ten. you know, and having done the weight the previous time, it's a good idea to record your sessions from time to time. Look at your form. If you're, if you squatted 200 pounds for a set of five, you know, in good form and you didn't have any aches and pains follow, you know, other than just general muscle soreness, there's no reason to think you can't go up to 205 and then 210 the next week. You know, there's no reason to think that a small amount of load is necessarily going to hurt you. If you don't overdo most, most older people, the, the quote, the injuries that they get are going to be overuse injuries from doing too much volume, too much frequency, too many repetitions versus too much load. That's, I mean, inflammation is really your biggest enemy. And that inflammation is really comes from excessive amounts of volume, not necessarily excessive load. Now, can, if you're going to compete in powerlifting, can you strain a hamstring muscle? Yeah, you can. It, can you recover from a strained hamstring in a matter of weeks? Yeah, you can. But it's pretty rare that people, you know, are, become catastrophically injured where they need a surgery or a really prolonged, you know, layoff, that sort of thing. Most, most things that you're going to encounter in the gym are going to be inflammatory in nature, not severe acute injuries. And if you do f- feel something that feels off, you don't want to be pigheaded about it. If you're doing a squat workout and all of a sudden you get a little feeling in your hamstring or your adductor, or your quad or anywhere else, and it doesn't feel right, stop. 
don't think it's going to resolve itself just by doing another set with heavier weight, you know, because it, it generally won't. So it generally doesn't you know, work, right? Yeah. yeah it, I mean, I've had a, a handful of injuries and, and most of them were a, a result of my pig headedness of just stubbornly thinking, oh, I'm invincible. I can do another, you know, I can do another set and be just fine. If you're, you got to learn as you get older and you'll sometimes, some of us are more stubborn than others. We have to be taught the hard way. But when you feel something in your body that's not right, you know, there's a difference between a hard effort versus something that's starting to give you a warning sign in terms of a tissue that's about ready to give. Generally, if you stop and kind of let it rest and, and come back to fight another day, you're going to be fine. You know, ignoring those types of signals that your body's throwing out at you, though, is a, that's the fastest way to get a, a real injury. Yeah, no, I I 100% agree with that. Absolutely. All right. Well, Andy, let's let's shift here. We've taken all this advice. We've trained. We've been smart with our training. And it's game day. It's go time. We show up at the meet. What tips do you have for us in terms of, I guess, just mindset and being prepared and walking out onto that platform? What sort of tips do you give a first time competitor? So there's a great, there's a great movie and I'm going to, I'm going to spoil it. So if you're, if you haven't seen this movie and you want to turn, turn the sound down. <laughs> Skip for forward a minute. minute. Yeah, yeah. A couple minutes. Yeah. But there's a great, is, I think it's called game day or no, it's called draft day. It's with Kevin Costner. And at the very beginning of the movie, he, he comes downstairs right before breakfast and he takes a little post-it note in his kitchen and he, he writes something on it and he puts it in his pocket and they never mention it again for the rest of the movie and you forget about it. And he's the general manager of the Cleveland Browns in this movie. And he's going into draft day, which is, you know, for a general manager, that's their biggest day of the year. He's got to draft all the players and all this kind of stuff. And especially their, their number one pick, you know, that's a, that's a big decision for the general manager to make. And he's got all this, all these people in his ear all day long, the owner of the team, the head coach, the fans, the, the media personalities, all telling him who he should pick. And he's got other general managers from other teams telling him, you know, hey, I'll trade you this guy for that guy if you'll give me this, this pick and all this kind of stuff. And at the end, he makes his selection. And he, at the very end of the movie, he pulls out that piece of paper. And I forgot the kid's name on it, but it, it's Justin Smith, no matter what. That's what he wrote on that piece of paper, which was he knew he was going to be inundated with this stuff and he was going to be tempted all day long to make a move. But and it, and he knew what the right call was going into that day. And so it's kind of, I tell people the same thing is before you ever get to the meet, write your numbers down that you're going to do, because you're going to have, especially if you're a competitive person, you're going to think that you can do this number or you're going to be influenced by what somebody else in your flight lifted and you want to beat that person. Don't make any game day decisions on the weight your first time. Know your numbers based off of your own training because that's not going to change. So if you know that 200 is the number that you want to hit and that you can hit on your squat, you know, it's kind of that 200 no matter what. You know, don't jump to 220 because the guy in front of you did 215. And so know your numbers going in and don't make a bunch of game time decisions based on, you know, what you think you can do or what your emotions are telling you to do because those are almost always going to be wrong. And that's where a good coach can come in. When I coach a power lifter, I give them their numbers before they go to the meet. And I say, look, this is what you're going to hit. I don't care what your friends are telling you or what the other competitors are telling you or, or whoever. These are your numbers that you're going to hit and do not deviate from these. I don't care how how heavy this certain weight felt or how light it felt. Go with these numbers. And especially if you're new, you know, you're going to have your opener but then you're, you know, you want to have as many of those weights scripted out as you can. Typically what I do is I will have 
I mentioned this earlier is that the, I base everything kind of off the second attempt. I have the second attempt be a very, very conservative PR. So if you've done 200 in the gym and you think you can, okay, that was pretty easy. You think then I'll put 205 as your second attempt and that's what you're going to do. And then your, your opening attempt, the one before that is going to be a little bit lighter than that. It might be 185, 190, something like that. It's going to be a weight we know you can hit. And then your third attempt, I'll generally give them two numbers to pick from. I'll say, look, if you, if you, your second attempt was light and easy and it went up fast, take this more aggressive number. If your second attempt was pretty hard and moves kind of slow, take this more conservative number. Sometimes if it's really hard, and this is one of these kind of decisions that a lot of competitors will make, like let's say on the squat, let's say, you know, your second attempt on the squat was 210. And you did it and it was everything that you had to get that 210 up. You can forfeit your third attempt. You don't have to take it because you're all you're going to do is go out there and miss a weight. And that's very, very fatiguing. So just you got your you got your 210 in. That was a little small personal record for you. It got you a good number on the board. You don't have to take a third attempt because you're just going to wind up burning up energy for the other lifts. So you can definitely do that. You can if you hit a number that you like. You can you don't have to take further attempts if you don't want to. You can just forfeit those attempts and they'll they'll use your bigger number. So but don't don't go in there not knowing what you want to lift and trying to make a bunch of decisions in the moment because you what happens is when you on your opening attempt, let's use let's say your opening attempt is two hundred pounds, you complete the lift, you usually have like a minute to walk over to the judge's table and tell them your second attempt. And so that's, but you want to have those numbers already in your head rather than going, oh man, should I do two to 20 or should I do, you know, don't make those decisions in that moment. You're going to be, there's too many emotions going through your head for you to make a good decision. So, you know, you generally want to have, have all those scripted out and then just follow the script. If it's your very first meet, don't even worry that much about the numbers that you're going to hit. Your goal should be, I always tell my lifters, your goal in the first meet is to just go nine for nine, go in there and get three good lifts on the, on each of the lifts, because you're, you're really your only goal for this first time. It's just to get your feet wet and see if you enjoy the process, get used to the rules and see if it's for you. And if you go in there and you have a bad experience where you load up way too much weight and the spotters have to take the weight and you miss a bunch of it, you're not going to have fun. You're not going to want to do it again. So just kind of learn how it works. And then the more meets that you do, the more you can start kind of getting into the strategy of selecting weights. And then, you know, if you're a, a serious competitor competing at a big meet to beat, you know, to beat other people, to win meets, then there is some game day strategy in terms of, okay, this person did this amount of weight. So I need to do X in order to edge this guy out, that sort of thing. But, you know, on your first meet, don't even look at what anybody else is lifting. It's completely irrelevant you know, you go in there and, and run your best race and whatever anybody else does is that you, you, it's not like this game isn't like football or baseball. You have no impact on the other competitors. You know, you can't do anything to that person other than lift more weight than they can. So, you know, trying to, trying to outlift a person that's clearly stronger than you is, is a mistake, you know, just go in there and have your best meet that you can get three good lifts on each of the, on the squat bench and deadlift, and then call it a day. And then from there, you'll, the, the, the more meets that you do, the more and more comfortable you're going to get, the better you'll get at kind of having a meet strategy. 
and that sort of thing. So that's really the best advice is just know your numbers and, and make them conservative, make them lifts that you know that you can get and go in there and have a good clean meet and see if it's even something that you want to pursue further. Yeah, that's really solid advice. So know your numbers, shoot for that nine for nine, try and go nine for nine on your lifts and really <laughs> make that first experience, make it fun, right? I yeah. Mean, I'm sure people are going to have, you know, they're going to be nervous and all of that that comes along with the first time doing anything, but really just go in there have a good time. All right. So kind of tr tr treat it as a workout, you know, kind of oh, treat, yeah. treat it as a workout, you know, and some people do that with, I know runners that I, that I train, you know, they run races that are sometimes they're, they don't even consider them competitions. They may sign up for a, a triathlon or a, a 5k or whatever they compete in. And it's just a work. It's just a training day. You know, they're not looking to set a new PR even or, or beat the other competitor. If they do, then, then great. You know, if you're older, you'll have more chance of, of, you know, winning a trophy if that's something important to you. Cause typically there's not as many older lifters in each of the categories, you know, so you're going to be yeah. competing in your age bracket. It's not going to be as full as say the, the 25 year olds and the 30 year olds. There's going to be a lot more younger competitors and older competitors, but there will be older competitors there. I mean, one of the great things about the last few years with powerlifting is, the diversity in the sport. There's a lot more, there's a lot more women that do it now. I mean, used to, when I first got started, it was all men and it was mostly young men, you know, it was mostly men that were 45 and below. Now it's, you know, it's half and half men and women. And there's, you see older lifters, you see younger lifters. So there's going to be people in your age group. So just, you know, talk to people, talk to other experienced competitors about stuff, but, but stick to your game plan. Don't let other people influence you, but you can learn just, you'll have time to talk to other lifters and that sort of thing and, and just make it a workout and make it a fun event. Make it a workout. Yeah. All right. That's, that's great advice. So Andy, I suppose at the end of this, probably one of a couple things is going to happen. Some people might say, you know what? Bucket list, checked it, done. Other folks are going to get bit by what you referred to last time as the iron bug, right? So somebody now is bit by the iron bug. What's your advice for this person now? They're gung-ho. They had a blast. They can't wait to do it again. Where do they go from this first one to trying to be a little more competitive? You know, you just, you don't want to compete too often. You want to give yourself time to train in between meets. Meet the the tapering period or the, the work up to the meet. Um, it, it, you know, it's a stressful event on your body. You're doing, you know, a lot of heavy lifting in the several weeks prior to the competition. The meat day itself takes more of a toll on you than you think. Even though you're not doing a very high volume of training, it's a lot of heavy lifts and plus the stress and the anxiety and all that of competition is way more fatiguing than people think. I usually tell people, after the week of the meet, take the entire week off, the next week off and just let your body, even if you detrain a little bit, it's fine. All those gains can be recouped. Take the week off, you know, do some light cardio, let your body rest and recover, let your mind rest and recover. Let a week go by and then you want to get back into the training again and you're going to start back over with the lighter weights and the higher volume generally. You don't want to get started. You may be real enthusiastic about it and want to get back in the gym heavy again, but start the rebuilding phase again. You know, you you hit your peak. Now it's time to start the rebuilding phase. Typically for a good training time between meets is going to be something like three to four months, you know, and that's going to mean two to three meets per year is about all that you're going to want to do. You know, you don't want to generally, I don't literally want my people to compete more than about two to three times per year, just because of the stress on the body. And it just takes that much time to make, you know, significant improvement. And, you know, ideally every time you go do a meet, you want to, you know, I would, at least if you're competitive, you want to do a little bit better than you did last time. 
And so that takes, it, it takes a training cycle of, you know, building more muscle, building more strength. It takes, you know, it takes a little bit of time to get there. So, and they're probably, you're not going to have meats available in your area more than, than that often anyway. So just as a practical reality, you're looking at probably two to three times per year at most. It's so you don't beat your body up too often. And each meet that you do will, will inform your training decisions a little bit better. You'll say, man, I did, I had it really good on the deadlift, but man, my bench was terrible, you know? And so now, you know, okay, I only, I was only bench pressing once a week going into this next meet. I need to, I need to bump that up. I need two dedicated days to my bench press or, you know, whatever you'll, you'll, each time you do it, your, your training will get a little bit better. You'll be able to refine it a little bit more, figure out in terms of the, how to taper for the meat, you know, how, how quickly or how far off from the competition do I start really ramping up the intensity and getting heavy? And there's no clear answer for that. I mean, people are different in terms of, like I said before, some guys like to keep kind of the higher volume, more moderate weight work in through most of the training cycle. And they don't like to get heavy until right up until right before the meet, because they find that they peak too early. Other people like to have a longer period of time you know, under those heavy weights prior to the meet. And that's just, that's just not anything that you can, there's no real, you know, exact protocol that works for everybody. You just kind of have to figure that out for yourself through multiple competitions. I assume it's the same with like running and such. Some people are going to want to push harder and longer right up until the competition. Some people are going to need more of a taper. So you just kind of, kind of figure that out for yourself. Yeah. Okay. So this could be something for somebody that becomes a lifelong pursuit. So somebody's listening to this and, you know, if they're in their late fifties, early sixties, absolutely. They can probably think, okay, there's, that's pro there's probably age divisions for me, but there are some older lifters out there that are, there's actually some incredible older lifters out yeah, there. I, actually, one of them is my client, <laughs> Shelly, Shelly Stetner. Shelly she Stetner. just competed actually a week ago on Sunday. She did pretty good, well, didn't she? Yeah, uh, she won. <laughs> and she's actually now one of the top ranked lifters in the United States. She won not only, I mean, she absolutely blew away her age group, but she was, she got, you know, using the formulas that they use, she was the best. She won the number one overall for all female lifters. And right. this was a pro meet, meaning that it was an invitation only meet. So it was not just something that any, you know, anybody could sign up for us. USA powerlifting only invited a certain amount of lifters to compete at this. And it is actually a cash meet. It means it was for money. She won cash. So, yeah. Yeah. She won 2,500 bucks. So powerlifting doesn't pay out that much. So that's no, pretty good payday right. for powerlifting. Fair but, enough. You know, it's, you know, she won best overall female and she was number two overall amongst all men and women. Right. And she's 70, there you, you go, know, folks. she's 70 years old and right. she did not pick up a barbell until she was 65. Yeah. And I mean, she is the quintessential example of somebody who got bitten by the iron bug, you know, started lifting like most people did just for her health. It was strictly about aging well and being able to kind of handle the rigors of life. And the more she got into it, the more she found out she liked it. And, the, and then she had a talent for it, obviously, an yeah. untapped talent for it and has just never looked back. And she's I mean, she's 70 years old. I think she weighed in at 60 kilos, so like 120 something pounds. And she deadlifted 325, you know, at wow. this meet, which yeah. is, which is pretty good. You know, she bench <laughs> yeah, pressed. Yeah, that's pretty good. Most, most around, 70 year old yeah. women are not, no. Yeah. That's yeah squatted 250 and bench pressed 140 and she's really done well, you know, and she's, she's a workhorse, man. She's never had a major injury, knock on wood. She pushes hard, but she loves the competition and, and she is not a person when we talk about, 
Like just go in there and get a total and, you know, go nine for nine. Nah, that ain't Shelly. No. She is, she is, <laughs> she is in, in it. it. Yeah. She is in it to win it. And that's yeah. where my role as a coach is part of that is to make sure that, you know, I'm giving her the attempts to do because she's the type that would throw on an extra 20 pounds. And so I've, I've really got to, and those, I mean, I like, I love working with those types of lifters. They're super aggressive. And as a coach, you're having to rein them in, not, not push them. And so there's different approaches. Sometimes with, as a coach, you have to push people to try to meet their potential. And other times you have to rein them in because they'll, they're their own worst enemy. But if they'll listen to you, those are going to be the most successful lifters because they've got, they've got all the intensity and all the aggressiveness in the world. And your job as to coach is to take your emotions out of it and use your brain to make sure that they're going in and hitting the right weights. And, you know, we hit that 325. If she had put 326 on the bar, she wouldn't have got it. It was, that was all yeah. that as all she she tried another that was her second attempt she tried another attempt after that i think 340 is what i told i said if you get 325 that's a personal record that's going to be more than enough to win the meet i said if you want to go for broke you know try 340 or something like that and she did i mean it didn't even budge you know yeah. so you know if we had called for that right off the bat it, that would have been a mistake she wouldn't have got that number so but i've been working with her for a long time so me and her are really really tuned in and the other thing i would say one thing we didn't touch on with powerlifting is your nutrition. I mean, obviously people that are listening to this know the importance of nutrition for the training part of it. I mean, if you're in the gym, breaking down the muscle, lifting all these heavy weights, you have to eat in a way that's going to facilitate the recovery from that. So your total caloric intake, your protein intake, all that stuff. But then again, if you're, if you're reading a lot of this stuff online or listening to podcasts about powerlifting and such, you're going to hear a lot of stuff about the game day nutrition and that sort of thing. And, and if you're a new lifter, there are certain strategies you can use with your nutrition to kind of elicit bigger performances, but you proceed with caution. You always tell people whatever, you know, whatever you normally eat for breakfast, eat that on your game day. You know, don't go try some crazy. I mean, when I was competing you know, the morning of the meet, you know, my nutrition guy always had me, he'd have me stop at a McDonald's or something on the way there and we get the pancakes and sausage, you know, so it's not the healthiest meal in the world, but it's, it's for a day. But, you know, you're loading up with all those carbohydrates and all that sodium and it, it loads your muscles really well and can be helpful on very, very heavy strength events. But if you're not used to eating that kind of stuff, don't make a bunch of radical nutrition changes, you know, the night before or especially the morning of the meat. If you're used to a couple of scrambled eggs and a bowl of oatmeal for breakfast, that's what you need to eat for breakfast on the, on the, don't go out there and cry, try some crazy pancakes and syrup and sausage and all that stuff. If your body's not used to that, cause you may not perform very well if you do that. And the same thing, you know, with having calories and carbohydrates available during the meat itself, you're going to want to eat during the meat. So you're going to want to have a, a substantial breakfast but foods that you know you digest well and that agree with you and that don't give you digestive issues or that don't give you big energy lags or that sort of thing. So, you know, you want to be in tune with what your body handles well and utilizes well. And then the same thing for your kind of your in-between lift snacks, you know, between the squat and the bench, between the bench and the deadlift, it's typical that we're going to want to keep fueling our body up with carbohydrates and maybe even some sodium but you want to stick with things that you know you can digest well that don't sit in your gut real heavy. It may be liquid nutrition. It may be, you know, some Gatorade with a little bit of salt in there or something like that. You know, if you're, but make sure that those, none of those things are totally new to you. Eat foods that you're used to dealing with. 
Yeah, that's that's great advice and could be overlooked for folks on that first meet because if if I'm not mistaken, these can be. I mean, especially if it's a big event, it could be all day. You could yeah, you could lift in are. the morning and then you're you know you may not deadlift until late in the afternoon and yeah, you're running you out of steam that. at that point. You don't think it's that fatiguing because you're that well, it's, you know, it's, it's one lift, you know, it's one rep, but it's more fatiguing than you think it is. And so, you know, we're not, it's not like you're running a marathon where you're really, you're burning up a lot of fuel. You're not really, but you want to have the muscles, you know, you want to have the muscles loaded with glycogen and water. You're going to have your best performances there. So that's where the high carbohydrate intake comes in. Even if you're a, a lower, you know, typically maybe follow a lower carb diet, that sort of thing. You may want to eat a little bit more carbohydrate leading up into the meat, you know, the night before the morning of and, and during the, the meat itself. But again, don't go overboard with the amount and stick with foods that you know that you digest well. And that, that and when I talk about digest well, like for me, let's say sweet potatoes, that's a good food. It's fine. Like that. But when I eat a lot of sweet potatoes, for instance, I can feel them sitting in my gut for a long time. Like it takes a while for those to break down. So that's not something that I would eat like in between lifts or something like that. But things like jasmine rice, I can eat a lot of those. And man, it's, it's like in my system and it's out. And so what that means is that the glycogen, those carbohydrate calories are not, they're not just sitting there being digested. They're, they're getting uploaded quickly. You know, think about uploading a file to your computer. You know, sometimes if it's a big file, it sits there and you get the little thing on your screen, buffering, buffering, but you know, it's taking forever to upload. You, you don't want to eat foods that do that. You want things that download quickly and get into your system because then they're going to be in the muscle cells and they're going to be, they're going to be ready for uh, utilization. So you want to be familiar with your carbohydrate sources prior to the competition. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. And so Andy, if folks are listening to this and want to learn more, want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to reach out and connect with you? Just my website is andybaker.com. And if you want to get you know specific one-on-one -on -one coaching, which is not a bad idea prior to a meet, if you have no idea what to do, but you're interested in doing it, you know, hiring a coach that is used to, that is used to working with powerlifters is, can be a good idea, you know, can guide your training a little bit. And, you know, even if you only use them for one meet, then you'll have a better idea of, okay, this is what, this is what it looks like to train for 12 weeks and, and build the volume and build the strength and then taper down into a meet. And then you can, you know, maybe kind of take the reins from there. If, if coaching is not something that you want to invest in long-term, you know, even doing it for a meet, but there's also, I have templates there that people can download that are cheap, $25 templates that are powerlifting specific programs. Even if you don't, follow them exactly, you know, having some sort of structure there leading up into the meet. So you're not just winging it right up until game day can be, a, can be a good idea. So I've got a lot of articles, you know, on there about that, but also I've got direct one-on-one -on -one coaching plus just templates that people can, can buy and kind of give their training some structure leading up into a powerlifting meet. Okay, thanks. And I'll, I will drop all that information into the show notes here. And folks, I believe you can reach out to, uh, you have a number of different programs and templates up there as well. So if folks right. want to talk about which one might yeah, be if you're best not, Yeah, there's them, a lot. And, and there's, they can just yeah, reach not, out to you there, right? Right. They if you're not familiar you. with my work and that sort of thing, yep. and you get on there and there's 10 different programs or whatever, you know, just uh, there's contact forms on the website. You can right. reach me via email. Just say, hey, this is my situation. I'm 65 years old. I've never competed before. You know, this is my training history. What's What's the right avenue for me? And I can, I can walk you on to the right choice. All right, folks. So here's my challenge there. I know there's some people out there listening that if you made it this far into the podcast, you're considering doing your first powerlifting competition. 
I would wholeheartedly encourage you to go out, do that, and then hit me up. Let me know. I'd love to know how it went. Love to get you on the show, actually, and talk about it. If you heard this and it inspired you to do a, a powerlifting competition and you do it, let us know. I think that's fantastic. Andy, I want to thank you so much for coming back on the show today, sharing all of your knowledge and your wisdom and your encouragement with us, and certainly wish you all the best in all your future endeavors. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Okay, folks, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation as much as I did. You can find all the links to the resources we discussed in this episode over at silveredgefitness.com slash episode 100. And you can continue the conversation over there as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts and comments on today's show. As we wrap up our time together today, you can show your support for this show in two important ways. One is to tell a friend about this podcast and encourage them to give it a listen. The second is to give this podcast a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on, and be sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future episodes. I also want to let you know that if you enjoyed this podcast, I have other free resources over at silveredgefree.com. There you'll find guides with my top tips on exercise, nutrition, and lifestyle. So feel free to head over there and download anything that looks useful to you in your health and wellness journey. I really appreciate you spending your time with me today, and until next time, stay strong.